Hey guys, welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a new interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. This episode takes us behind the scenes of Rodrigo Garcia's new film, Last Days in the Desert, a biblical-themed drama that chronicles an untold tale from the story of Jesus. As he fights to survive the harshness of the Judean wilderness during his self-imposed exile of 40 days, he finds himself in a struggle with the devil over the fate of a family in crisis. Ewan McGregor stars as both Jesus and the devil, alongside Ty Sheridan, Kieran Hines, and Ayala Zura. At a Q&A following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Garcia spoke with director Scott Derrickson about his work on Last Days in the Desert. Listen on for highlights from their conversation, including the casting of Ewan McGregor as both Jesus and the devil, and Mr. Garcia's documentary-esque approach to shooting the film with cinematographer Emmanuel Lubeski. Enjoy. Uh, thank you. I didn't know until uh, I, I first of all I have not did not see this film until just now with everybody else. Um, and now you're full of regret. And oh God, no! I uh, uh, I genuinely uh, thought it was amazing. And uh, one of the just to give a little bit of the history um, of the project, what little I know about it, um, and one of the reasons why I'm here. Uh, we share the same agent and friend, uh, uh, Adriana Alberghetti, and I was given the script for this, uh, I don't know, two years ago, maybe? Um, was it longer like than that? Like four, five years four, ago. Four, five years maybe. ago? Four or five. God, it was that long. Of course, that, of course, that's how long it takes to get a film like this made. Um, and uh, it was the it was the full-length script. The movie uh, changed uh, from what I remember. Uh, some things didn't, some things didn't, but it was only 60 pages long, and it was... Uh, you know, a visual uh, treatment uh, description of it. And there was some dialogue, but not a lot. And um, I was given it, I think, but you talk about it, but I, about even the reasons for that, but I was really overwhelmed when I read it with, with, with the earnestness and the, 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 uh, the passion that was behind that, uh, the endeavor itself and was very much passed on my encouragement to Rodrigo to try to pursue it, to try to get it made, knowing that it would be difficult. Um, and uh, uh, sincerely, the, the end product exceeded my my hopes even for it. I think it's an extraordinary film. And and for this ki kind of movie and an incredible achievement, um, uh, it, it, let's, but let's start by talking about that script and about the inspiration and the background, your background, or what it was that that drove you to want to tell this particular kind of story at all. You, you know, this was one of those. Um, I just had this idea, and I honestly, I've said jokingly that I don't know what part of my body it came from. Literally, it was this image of Jesus coming out of the desert, and I guess intuitively, I knew he was coming out of the desert after his forty days, and not feeling like he had completely found what he was looking for and that he found a father and a son. Then it was only the two of them living in the desert who had a conflict and I wasn't quite even sure what the conflict was. 
um, and that uh, Jesus felt compelled, almost without knowing why, to get involved. Um, and, uh, you know, I entertained it for a little bit, and I thought, yes, that would be dramatically interesting, and then I couldn't get it out of my head. And then you go through the period where you say, really? You're going to make a movie about Jesus? Okay. Um, but I, I couldn't get it out of my head. And, um, you know, and then after a while, you know, I, I, you don't have to be a clairvoyant to realize, well, you're talking about fathers and sons. You know, this is arguably the most famous son who's just spent some time in the desert, uh, you know, trying to connect to the oneness, which is his father. And then finding uh, a boy and a father who are in conflict. I wasn't quite sure what it meant. What I just thought it was very human for someone to get sucked into that. And I thought, well, would Jesus get sucked into that? And and then you know, so I just I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I started you know taking notes and developing a little more. And and then you know I wrote the first. 20 pages and in the 15 pages and in the first 15 pages I made a lot of discoveries I you know I knew I wanted to keep it very bare bones and then I I needed a mother you know I I think if I'm if I'm going to do like a microcosm of everything uh I needed a mother and also because the father and the boy don't talk that much I didn't want a movie that was all built conversations between Jesus and the father and Jesus and the boy you know, you need you need another leg, and then uh, finally, I realized, you know, I need someone in the movie who knows who Jesus is, and that's that's when the demon stepped in. But I, I mean, it literally just, you know, it really has came to me. It, it's one of those, um, you know, how writers say it doesn't come from you; it comes through you. That was definitely this is my biggest example of that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm almost hesitant to ask more specific questions. I'm going to uh, ask more specific questions about meaning and, and, uh, and, and some of the ideas in the movie. But I, uh, as a precursor to that, I think this is a perfect example of uh, cinema, you know, quality cinema, great cinema being something that um, if you could simply state what it means, that you wouldn't need to make the movie. And, and, and the greatness of... of, of, a, of especially cinema that can be considered spiritual, you know, uh, filmmakers like Tarkovsky, who was always striving for kind of spirituality in his filmmaking. Um, they yeah, very, in some ways, a very Christian director, Tarkovsky. a very Christian director. And I think that, that trying to reduce, um, a film like this down to, down to, uh, just simple core ideas or core, a core meaning. If you could just say it, the movie wouldn't need to be made. The movie's greater than that. And, and I, that was my experience. I'll be thinking about this for quite a long time, but let's talk about some of the specific choices that you made in it. Um, why, why the name Yeshua? Uh, let's, well, I have a background in theology and, and religious philosophy, which is another reason why I read the pages to begin with why that name as opposed to jesus and why the demon and not satan or the devil and it being the more traditional uh terms because i started writing it with jesus and uh after you write a, f a few pages of jesus walks jesus sleeps jesus says jesus you know it, it, the name it's the weight crushes you do you know what i mean after a while i'm like really like every line i was reminding myself of this thing that i was doing and it was just you know it, it's too portentous you know it's like saying 
you know, God wakes up and looks out his window. I was like, what? What did you just write? <laughs> so I said, I need another name, but I don't want to be confusing. So I thought of, of Yeshua or Yeshua, which is a Hebrew form of the name, which is actually, you know, quite a common name. I think in, in, in the Protestant culture, you know, no one names their son Jesus. But as I'm sure you all know, in, in, uh, in Spanish, it's quite common to name your son Jesus, which is Joshua. So it just liberated me to call him Yeshua. And just to get, you know, to then the first scene he has with the demon, the demon says, Yeshua, isn't that what your mother calls you? So it's not, it doesn't completely clear it up, but it freed me. Um, and then originally in the first drafts, uh, the demon was called Lucifer. But again, you know, I found it as overwhelming to write, you know, how do you dramatize God and then how do you dramatize pure evil? So it, was, it, it, it just helped me sort of bring them down to human scale. In some ways, you know, my scripts don't have much description, but I, I try to write them very carefully because they all have hidden notes to myself so that I can remember when I'm... I'm sure you do that. You know, when you're directing, you know what, you, what it means. Um, and just by calling them Yeshua and the demon, I, I, I just brought them down. You know, Jesus and Lucifer. You know, I'm not Dante, for crying out loud. You know, it's like <laughs> I, I just needed to bring them down to the human scale. And I think I also did that instinctively because the movie interested me in the human scale. You know, I just wanted to see the human Jesus. You know, that's, I mean, at least to treat him, the, the Jesus in this story, I could only see in human terms. So using those two names helped me stay a little bit, not grounded, but feeling that that's the league I could play in. I can play in the Yeshua demon, but not in the Jesus Lucifer. And it's obviously an exploration of something um, divine and spiritual, the relationship between God the Father and, and his son Jesus, and then the, this very human family and a very human struggle, and the, 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 um, both, both, uh, both sons being in a similar place, you know, having uh, found themselves, having uh, a sense of... of um, what it is that they feel called to do, and the conflict between the expectations of the father, the demands of the father, and and one's own desires and one's own uh, uh, instincts, and and that's that's all pretty plain. Did you feel that you were trying to have those things exist on 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 even terms, or did you feel like you were really making a movie more about Jesus, or making a movie more about humanity and fathers and sons and, and and human relationships or did you feel was it was it really an attempt to do both at the same time and and find the relationship between those things no i mean the attempt was to talk about fathers and sons and you know like i said use this very famous son with a very you know particular father for lack of a better term uh, i thought it was about fathers and sons and then i have another father and son and and i wanted to keep it all also in a very simple i wanted you know the the conflicts to be very simple. All the boy wants is to leave. The father wants him to stay. And there's this thing which is if if your mother dies here and we bury her here, we can never leave. You know, I, I really wanted to make about as bare bones a conflict as I could, but a conflict that was very powerful to them. You know, it it, it felt overwhelming to the boy for sure. But, you know, to answer the rest of your question, you know, 
I discovered what I was bound to discover is that you you can say that your movie is about whatever you want, but if Jesus is in your movie, your movie is going to be about Jesus. <laughs> uh, do you know what I mean? It's or 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 you're not. It's not exclusively about Jesus, but he's not just going to be one of the Uber drivers. It's like, do you yeah, know what I mean? Right. It's like. It's like I mean, it's like putting Captain America in your movie. It's yeah, be, I mean, there there are some Captain. issues to deal with, and you know, of course, I had three days that are not accounted for in the gospel, so I had a lot of freedom. But you know the origin, and you know the destiny, and you have to shoehorn your own drama into that. You know, um, but no, I mean, originally it was all a, a kitchen sink drama in the desert, family, fathers and sons. Um, and perhaps Jesus doing even unconsciously, you know, helping this boy without even knowing why. Um, again, because I kept thinking of Jesus, of Yeshua, as a person. Not because I wanted to say, no, he's not the Son of God, but because the divine side, you know, how do you dramatize that? How do you think about that? You know, we all feel very comfortable when, you know, Morgan Freeman's paternal protective voice plays God. It's very simple and and you know heartwarming, but the big thing is cannot be dramatized. Um, so I just stayed on the human side, and I thought he may not even know why he's helping this boy. Um, but yeah, in the end, you know, it was it was all Jesus and Jesus, and you know, yeah. I mean, who 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 am I kidding? Yeah, I I, I and I do as I was watching it. Um, my own experience with it w- was was uh, both very personal and very cinematic. Personally, uh, I lost my father uh, at the same time that my oldest son, my wife, was pregnant with, with my oldest son. And uh, in fact, the first time the first time I ever saw an ultrasound of my uh, of my oldest uh, my my firstborn son, my first child, was on the day that I, I buried my dad. You know, so in Spanish they say "se cruzaron en el camino," they crossed on the road. Yeah, and and I it happens, so, you know, it's very meaningful. And and my uh, my oldest is about to turn thirteen. My wife and I were just talking about it before this movie, not really knowing what we were what we were in for. So it was very personal. I think people will have very personal reactions to the movie, and of course, everybody has a very personal uh, uh, opinion about uh, the person of Jesus and and the, that name and and the idea of Christ and and uh, certainly living in America. Uh, and certainly in, an, in, a, in a political era like ours, where Christianity has, and the power of Christianity and the, and the power of the Christian church has taken on political significance as well, you can't not have a strong opinion about this figure. Um, the, the, the other part of me is a filmmaker. You know, I kept thinking about, it, there were, I kept having moments of the movie, um, and I mean this as a compliment in the highest regard. It really reminded me a lot of Pasolini's The Gospel of St. Matthew and and uh, Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, but being probably the two most personal Jesus films and personally accomplished Jesus films. And I think both films made from um, from from a deep place of of, of uh, honesty as this as this film was. Did your relationship with that figure? change uh your thoughts about about the person of 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 jesus the history whether it's as a as a you know the historical jesus there's a lot of of scholarship from the last century about uh you know calling into question 
the the veracity of the gospels that's a whole subject then there's the the personal religious aspect i don't know if you're religious at all if you're if you're a, ch a church goer i am um so i everybody has their own their own it's going to be it's to some degree if you put jesus up on the screen it's like a it's like a eucharist it might be the most meaningful thing in the world to you it might be a piece of bread on a, on a in nothing more so did did your did your beliefs or your feelings about that historical or uh or uh religious figure alter as a result of making the movie well you know i i am not a i'm not a religious person i mean i did grow up of course in a catholic world in colombia and mexico and some years in spain and uh, my parents were not religious either, but they were, you know, big readers of the Bible and of the Gospels. And they grew up in a world where, um, you know, that culture, it's funny because over the last two or three years, you know, I was, I've developed this, this thing occurred to me, you know, we're very used to hearing Jews, some Jews call themselves secular Jews. And I've often thought, well, there are secular Catholics out there. Do you know what I mean? It's like, even if your faith is not, the, you know, even if you're not active in your faith, even if you have doubts, even if you're at war with the church, it is the world that I grew up in. You know, I'm, it's so, I'm so in that culture, even as an outsider. But I, an outsider meaning I'm not a churchgoer, but I grew up in that world. And, um, you know, because my dad was a writer, the, the you know, Jesus existed in my head. As, as as well as you know the historical the religious the the um you know the spiritual side of him um you know i grew up in a world where jesus lived in my head together with anyone and everyone including napoleon pocahontas madame bovary um don quixote you know, there is a world in your head populated by, by people, some fictional, some non-fictional, some quasi-fictional, some, um, you know, Socrates is a guy that has influenced the world. And we have the books that one of his pupils wrote that he said. That's so, you know, 2,600 years ago. It's so removed it's almost in the realm of fiction. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is fiction, but when I approached the subject, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just working in a world of, of characters. And then, you know, of course, like I said before, no, it's not a character. It's Jesus, and you have to deal. Um, as far as my ideas of, you know, about Jesus, you know, I could only approach him... Uh, you know, again, I only did the human side, and I have you have to ask yourself what you ask yourself about every character. If I am him, what? If he is me, what? If I am her, what? You know, you have to, I think you have to ask yourself that about every character. And, you know, I, I threw my own fears and preoccupations on him, and they are mine, they're not his. You know, I have, you know, if I am him, I have the sense of an enormous mission and an enormous destiny that I want, but even if I didn't want it, I wouldn't have a choice, and it's huge. And it will involve, even if I'm not quite sure what it'll involve, it'll have to be a grand gesture, a huge gesture. 
and potentially dying. And as a human person, I'd be preoccupied and scared. Um, and I don't think, for me, that doesn't take anything away from the human Jesus. After all, if there was no suffering and pain and no fear of death, the sacrifice wouldn't be the sacrifice. He would be a god and go into eternity dancing. No, but So I, I, I tried to think, you know, and I gave him these nightmares that are very common nightmares you know he runs that he's been, he dreams that he's been chased that he drowns in the end he dreams like he's floating in the air i mean these are flying dreaming flying swimming being chased dreams are like you know that's like freud 101 everyone has had those dreams you know um and then you know the preoccupation how much can i help these people or am i meddling and then ultimately, you know, the question is, should you meddle? You know, he helped the boy achieve his dream, but he also participated in a scheme that, you know, cost the father his life. I mean, it, you know, it's messy. It's messy. I don't, I don't think any of it came from a place of bad intentions, but it was messy. It, it it was also very surprising in, and, uh, uh, I think very significant this idea that the demon introduces this kind of multiverse theory that that comes into the movie about uh, about these the scenarios the the creation repeating itself over and over again and God altering it just a little bit you know just 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 slightly which which fits with you know some current current scientific theories about infinite universes and that every possible scenario is being played out somewhere in the in the, in the multiverse. I, I I certainly don't remember that idea from the script that I read, but I once that idea was interjected into the movie, I found myself I found that to be a very weighty subject in the movie. The idea that uh, that that Lucifer has watch is watching all these various uh, realities play out over over who knows and a near infinite amount of time was that a, 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 was that a, an idea that carried a lot of weight for you within the story because it did for me watching the movie that 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 uh um that happenstance the happenstance of jesus coming along at the moment that he did is what changed everything for this family and it could have could have and it, it probably hadn't before there's probably nor like and we know for a fact that that in the last uh, time around this kid uh poisoned his father yeah. you know and so i would talk a bit about that about um uh, destiny and and uh, and and the eternal site, the Nietzschean, you know, eternal recurrence, and all of this stuff that's that's up there. You know, I I am you know clearly one of the of the um you know the ideas. By the time I was halfway through that draft, you know, I I knew there was a big conversation due between the two of them because the demon had seen things that Jesus had not seen, um, and. Uh, you know, I, and and I and I thought, of course, destiny is a big part of it. You know, can you write your own destiny like the boy wants, or are you, or is it pre-written? You know, or are you? Can you grow up and be a man, or do you need your father's permission to become a man? And the way parents impact children, and the mother's the mother's role in in you know getting the boy out of here you know even at the end she's dying and she said go you know she burned the body so that no one would be buried there 
you know that was that was uh uh my idea so um you know writing the demon was very f freeing because you know he starts off that whole scene by saying i am a liar that is the truth which is one of those cyclical lines that you don't you it's always biting its tail right, right. you know is that the truth or a lie you don't it, you know it's like a a coin that's forever you know i am a liar that is the truth and that really freed me because i knew that anything that came out of his mouth could finally be interpreted as a way to destabilize Jesus. There is not one world, there are many. You're not one son, there are many sons. Your father doesn't love you and doesn't have a plan. He is someone who is only self-involved and is perfecting this universe in a neurotic way. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I would offend anyone because this is Lucifer screwing with your head. And yet the the idea of it, of the multiple universes you know sort of satisfied that sort of my literary inclination towards the story you know this is a story that can be written many ways and it also you know it's from a theological point of view it's all a lie but the demon is using it um and then like you said yeah it sort of you know hints at physics you know they say that there are many universes going on and then there are some universes where you know this movie will do really well at the box office. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, so, you know, anything anything is uh there's some it, some yes. of us wish we yeah, were in yeah, that. Yeah, we yeah, were, no. Some somewhere this is beating uh, civil war this some, weekend. Right uh, now, yeah. Right now, and, yeah, yeah, and I'm young and right. thin and it's still just beautiful. <laughs> um but uh but you know, the I, I I I was asked to talk, you know, at the writers at the academy to some young writers and I had to give a speech that drove me nuts. And then I said, okay, you know, two stories. Tell me one is easier to believe. There was nothing, and in six days God made the world. Or the other one, there was nothing, and a huge explosion created everything. And on one of those planets, dinosaurs developed. Then an asteroid hit the Earth, destroyed the dinosaurs, and little furry creatures turned into humans. Okay? Well, religious or science, I mean, those are both two insane stories and the only way we can assimilate them is through story and storytelling you know are we really supposed to believe that the electron you don't know where it is it's only you know or that there are parallel universes and the black hole it's you know only story can help you digest that so i thought well i'll have lucifer tell jesus a mind-boggling theory to further make him insecure. I love that answer. Um, I, I do think that one of the great accomplishments of, of the film is, you know, un unless you're some sort of really uh, extremist in, in, in your atheism or your belief, I don't think that the movie... Uh, I'm a God-fearing God atheist. Well, you man, you managed to make a movie that, that is really uh, wonderfully free of... of you know, it, it's not addressing things and it's not presented in a way that really uh, can, is going to offend anybody. It's, it's outside of that because I think it's so immersed in mystery and it is about the mystery of life and the mystery of the forces that guide us and in our, in our relationships and in our, in our spiritual uh, beliefs or lack of or doubts or whatever. And I think that's probably my favorite thing about it. I want to talk a little bit about 
the aesthetics of the movie and 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 how much I think that served the, this story that you that you told and and the the both the spiritual side of it and the very human drama of the family. Um, your your director of photography, obviously one of the uh, uh, great DPs in the world, who's who's just uh, you know he's, he'll win the Oscar this year for The Revenant, I'm sure. Um, I I wonder um, uh, I really wonder about the conversations that you had and and uh, going into this because it is one of the first of all it is one of the more distinctive and better looking daylight exterior digital films I've ever seen. It might be the best looking daylight digital exterior film I've seen. And and I and and and, and not only in terms of just quality and, and the pleasantness of looking at it and that it but, but this the way the, the austerity of that that color palette and and the photography, the compositions and everything serviced uh the tale. I'd I'd love for you to just talk a bit about your relationship with uh uh with your DP and and how 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 what you were striving for in, in shooting this well you know the, it was all very organic and you know I, first of all we know each other socially and you know i didn't know chivo that much growing up in mexico because he's six years younger than i am but i knew of him i mean i was i remember being 20 and seeing him playing in a band when he was 15 at a party so we've we've known each other for a long time and then in the 90s i was his operator so i was very you know i knew very much how he worked and um, I was blanking his name. What is his name again? Emmanuel Lubeski. That's right. Okay, yes. sorry. Yeah. Um, and he, um, and then he shot the first movie that I did, which was already like 15 years ago. And then, you know, we hadn't worked uh, for a long time, but I always wanted him to shoot this movie. I just knew that I needed a, a major eye and a major artist. And, you know, my idea for it, I, I, I didn't, I'm not someone who says, oh, it has to be this way. You know, I, I I know what it cannot be. You know, I, I knew it couldn't be desert postcards. You know, the post the desert is so generous that you can just make this whole, you know, uh, corny thing out of it. You know, I wanted it to be um, beautiful, but also have a harshness. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the stuff, you know, we don't, and I don't think he does this with, with like, uh, with the... Well, I was going to say other directors. I think it's been 10 years since he's done a movie with anyone other than, you know, Alfonso Cuaron, Alejandro, and Terry, and Terry Mal. I mean, a long time, maybe even 12 years. So I, I don't think the, you know, we didn't sit down and look at movies. We didn't reference movies. We sort of wanted it to come out of those conversations you have in the van, and then you look at one location, and you, you know... Um, <clears throat> A lot of it actually came out of an initial meeting we had with Judiana Makovsky, the wardrobe designer, um, you know, who, out of the conversation, it became clear that, not clear, you know these things, but you forget. You know, Jesus and his followers were very poor people. And when you're seeing someone come out of 40 days in the desert, I mean, it's, it's a homeless man and a very poor man and a meditator and... And I think a lot of our ideas about the movie came from looking at some of the stuff that she showed us that were, you know, pictures from the 1890s and the 1880s of, of you know, uh, you know, people who lived in the desert or Bedouins or um, or people from other countries and other cultures. But that poverty, you know, seemed to be essential. And then one day, you know, Chivo said to me, "Look, 
you know, we only had 25 days and $3 million to make the movie. He said, if we go out there with lights and 20 by 20 silks, we're never going to get done. So we just agreed to shoot it, you know, like a documentary almost. It's handheld, Steadicam, and then on a tripod sometimes, but seldom, or a tripod without a head, you know, just sort of... Um, we didn't have a dolly. We had no lights. I mean, we did light, you know, the interior of the tent. That's one day. Um, and so what that required was, you know, uh, I spent a lot of time, even before Chiva was available, you know, I combed that park. And I chose this park because it was so peculiar looking. I didn't want to park like, um, you know, parks in Utah or, or uh, Colorado. or They look like westerns. This is, this is its own thing. It's and a, where is it? It's Anza Borrego. It's about four hours from here two hours east of uh, San Diego. You know, I combed the park, and then I, I, you know, I showed him all the locations, and then we narrowed down what worked best. And then we literally planned it, you know, this scene in this direction at this hour, the reverse in this direction. at the, I mean, really, like, so that we always knew what time we were shooting what. I mean, it was extremely organized. You know, occasionally we'd see something better and move over or reinvent but it was really, it's shot like a documentary, but super thoroughly planned. Was a lot of that avoiding direct high sun shots? Because, it, you know, certainly like at the end, you see the long shadows of them on the desert. And I, I felt like there was a lot of deliberate attempts to get things at the, at the, at the beginning and the end of days to, to avoid the harshness that digital yeah. photography gives you with, uh, with uh, the high sunlight. I mean, we did, we did shoot some stuff, not at high, not at 1 p.m., but we would shoot, you know, you know, up to around noon and then after 2.30 or 3. You know, so we, we couldn't have the luxury of, shoot, of having four hours down or five hours down in the middle of the day. Um, but even that we planned, you know, that was something the middle of the day we would go inside the tent and work with the mother. Um, you know, that's the kind of stuff we would do. Um, <clears throat> but I think, you know, to your point about the digital stuff, uh, my feeling, and I never discussed this with Chivo, is, you know, Chivo is, is, you know, he's he's conservative and super adventurous. You know, both, you know, a lot of artists are like that. You know what you like, you have your theories, you have your your vision, you have your, you know, your stuff, and then you say, oh my God, I can't get, I got to loosen up here. And my feeling is, and he'd done some, a lot of this stuff on Terry Malick's movies he'd done. But I think he knew that sooner or later he was going to have to make that digital day exterior sun. <laughs> and the, you know what I mean? And like, you know, why, why be running away? You know, he's not someone who's turning the clock back. You know, he's very, you know, he loves film. But I know, for example, he was never happy with, with uh, the, the positives on film, the print the print film he was never happy with. He liked the negatives. And then the digital, of course, has a few problems. You know, the, you can never see the sun. It always burns out, at least in, in you know, two camera two years ago. But then you have this thing that the movie looks the same in every screen everywhere, you know? Um, you never get that print that's too green and too blue and too whatever. So I, I, I have the feeling he knew... This was going to happen sooner or later, and here, this is this is it. This is one. So he really, I mean, we when I say no grip electric, we had no foam core. There's no four by four on anyone's face. There is nothing. 
Yeah, and it was it, yeah. it, I, 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 it was an education for me too, and just the way that we were pushing it all cooler. It was shot on the Alexa, is that right? Shot was, on the Alexa, yeah, yeah. And it, which is a warmer camera, but it I just the 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 way it serviced the story, and the way that it uh, presented an, an aesthetic that was really pure and you know it was wor- uh, worthy of of this kind of work of art. Just, I just want to say to your question, he did say at one point, and of course it terrified me because, you know, as a director, you know, we're all incredibly uh, pretentious. He said, he said, you know, we have to find a very humble look for the movie. <laughs> and my first thought was, is my movie's not humble. <laughs> what? But you know, you know what he meant? It was like that nothing in the movie, the movie can be beautiful as well as harsh, but nothing should be showy. Nothing should be like, look what we did. You there, know? There, I think that's a really wonderful thing that he said because I think there is um, the movie has has a humbleness that there's humility in in the aesthetics of the movie and the in the performances of the movie and certainly in the storytelling and what what I think the, you know you, the areas that you were exploring in it. Um, and I think Ewan McGregor's performance was was uh, a re- really a, a terrific example of a of, of an actor servicing you know two parts very well and very distinctively and 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 I think he could have gone um, he could have gone uh, extreme with either of those roles much much more than than he did and yet there's there's still extremities in them and I thought think he serviced them very well so talk about the casting of him and the decision of of of, of him why him um I do it I think it's worth noting that you know it's a it, it's you know he's not just a white guy he's a white blue-eyed guy you know playing uh, this uh, Mediterranean uh, character but also playing the demons so just I'm very curious about the process of how you found him and what it was about him as an actor that you felt was was right to play uh, these two roles. Well, I initially didn't think of him because you know, like you know, like all directors, sometimes the vision is too narrow. And I thought, you know, at this time Jesus was around thirty, so I wanted an actor that was you know thirty to thirty four. And uh, Ewan is a little older; he was forty two or forty three already. So I, he was never on those lists and those you know I never considered him. And then the movie went through many, um, you know, at one point I was going to do it in Israel in Hebrew. Then I was going to do it in Israel in English. Then I was going to do it in Israel in, you know, whatever. And when I was going to do it in Hebrew, it was going to be with, you know, actors from Israel. There were, um, you know, two Israeli actors and some Israeli-Palestinian actors also. Um, and then I thought of making it in Mexico and making it in Spanish. Um, and then, uh, it was different reasons it couldn't be done, Mexico security, Israel cost, you know, whatever. Um, and then by chance, or maybe not by chance, uh, four families went, you know, I was one of, my family was one of four families that ended up spending a holiday together at the beach in Mexico. And it was Chivo who knew Ewan and invited us, so we all got to know each other. And spending time with him, you know, I started thinking, oh, my God, this guy would be great. But I said, I'm, you know, I've just become friends with him. I'm, there's no way I'm going to get back to L.A. and say, oh, by the way, here's my script. So I said, forget it. 
you know, and a month went by, and then my producers called me and said, you should really think about you. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to send you in my script. Um, and uh, so they sent him the script behind my back. You know, once I got a call saying he's reading the script, I thought, okay. And he liked it right away, responded, said yes, went for it. Um, you know, apart from being a very good actor, which I already knew, um, and, you know, very smart and, and just someone who communicates, you know, like all good actors, a lot of inner life, a lot of intelligence, a lot of feeling. Um, I thought he just communicates this enormous empathy. You know, he's very much interested in the other and in the other human person. And and that was, you know, that, that I thought if, if anything, if there was anything that you needed from someone playing Jesus is that interest in the other. I mean, this is, that's, that's what Christianity is, right? Yeah. The other. It's, it's what know? it's supposed to be. Yes, yeah. I mean that's. I mean, at least in its you know tenets, it's it's the other. So you know, I was convinced it was him. You know, regarding regarding his uh, his race, yes. You know, I myself, I'm Latino, so I am as sensitive to that. Um, you know, to that just cause as anyone else, but. Um, you know, I ultimately found the guy that I thought would, you know, not be too poised, too cocky, too meek, too, you know, it's it's hard to get movie stars to play certain things, you know. Look, even the looks, you know, we threw as much on him as we could, and the more we did, the better he looked. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, okay. Um, so, so... So I'm look I'm I'm I I'm aware of the racial thing and I can only plead guilty and say I understand it and if it pisses anyone off all the power but as a director you know I found my most human Jesus who sang it in the key that I needed and I went for it and I think his his work is great in it to your point of the Jesus and the demon you know he as it turns out only thought of Jesus. And literally on the Saturday, two days before shooting on Monday, he realized he had not for a moment thought how he was going to play the demon. But the demon was written, you know, his his dialogue is, it, it's showy. Do you know what I mean? He's a show-off and he loves, he has humor. And so I think he just f sort of fell into that. That was almost no work for him. The work for him was, you know, Jesus who on the page was very silent, very introspective, watching, making choices for sure. But, but um, in fact, you know, sometimes in the script it worried me that, that the demon read better. And then when we were shooting, you know, it was so much fun to watch him. You know, Chivo's like, oh, my God, we're in trouble. You're going to have to cut this out. And I'm like, well, we'll see. And then when you cut the movie together, you know, the Jeshua side of it is very strong. But when you're reading it or shooting it, you know it's the demon show. He has all the good lines. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a it's a a much greater accomplishment um, than it's. But now that you're saying that, it's a much greater accomplishment than it even occurred to me in watching the movie that uh, that that he he has so much fun and relishes that demon role, and yet uh, the the Yeshua role stands. I, I still felt we, I, like that's who I was with. That's whose story you were telling and who I felt very connected to. But I thought that it was also, uh, a, a, uh, I thought a beautifully delicate take on 
the demon character. I think it's I like the fact that you call him the demon and not and not the devil. Um, I think just because there's a general point of view that he represents, which has some credibility, you know, and that, you know, I didn't find him to be, uh, you know, arch. And I felt there were quite a few moments when he was saying things that um, that I've I've heard spoken very earnestly you know, by people who talk about why they don't believe in God or why they're disillusioned with religion, those sorts of things. And I thought that was one more layer of, of, of contribution to the religion and spirituality in the movie. Um, and uh, the boy, um, where did you find him? He's terrific. Yeah, he's I probably, mean, is he Ty Sheridan, yeah, I yeah. mean, he's in a lot of movies yeah. now and about to be in many more. He was one of the three boys in Tree of Life. And then after that, he did um, Mud. Oh, that's where I knew yes. him from. I knew I'd and, seen him. You know, and he was yeah. very good. And, you know, he's just he's just one of those boys, you know, like like the boy from Room or, you know, or Dakota Fan. You know, every one, two, three years, just these kids come along that just are good and enjoy it. And um, and he's very good. And he's, you know, he's nonstop. He's, you know, he's about to be in the X-Men and to do uh, Spielberg's next movie. So, you know... Those other three grown-up actors are extremely experienced. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes I would talk a little more to the boy, but he's still a very good actor. I mean, they wouldn't, you, I couldn't possibly say anything like I directed him or got a performance out of him. He just understood it and, and, uh, and just was very good. I would love to, uh, especially because it's a room full of, uh, of directors, I would love to hear a bit about um, the process of getting a film like this all the way to, to the screen. I, I didn't read any reviews, but I saw that the movie's been very well reviewed. I, I think it was like at 78% on Rotten Tomatoes when I looked it up tonight, which is, so congratulations on that. I only remember a couple of painful reviews. Yeah, okay. Well, but overall, they're clearly positive. Um, I think the movie's amazing. And, uh, and, and I, I still was sitting there in my seat toward the end just marveling that in this day and age you got this movie made at all. At all. So I'd love, and like you said, it you know, uh, it was four or five years ago that I first read that script. That's a long time to be striving to get something done um, that you shoot in twenty five days. You know, and it was it's it's a low budget movie, but three million dollars is still a lot of money in the real world. And getting that kind of money back is a challenge. So I'd love to hear. Uh, uh, about a little bit about that process and 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 if it was uh, as hard as I would think it would be to get this done. Uh, yeah, yes, I mean absolutely, and and I always knew it. You know, and in fact, I you know I had long thoughts before even sitting down to write it, <clears throat> and then I wrote it and wrote the first third, and I got stuck. And over a year, I thought, do you really even want to put the the emotional Thing that you have to sort of vomit into a script. Do I want to go there for a movie that will probably never get made? Um, but in the end, you know, things get under your skin, and I just finished it. And then when I finished it, I was even more convinced I had to make it. All the while knowing that it was a completely personal, you know, uh, you know, I was making the movie for me, you know, and I just knew what it was going to be. You know, I had no. Uh, no illusions. Um, 
But, you know, we, we sort of reached this number, which was, you know, 25 days is probably around 3 million. And, you know, and also, I mean, without someone like Ewan or a name like Ewan, it just would not have happened, you know. And even so, you've got to go out and, and, uh, and Ewan playing two roles. Maybe it was Ewan playing one role. Right, right. That, you know, then you have to do it for 2 million. Um, <laughs> and then you go out and, you know, it's a little bit of pre-sales and a little bit of... Um, and a lot of private investors. I mean, I, I have, I can only be thankful. You know, the producers Julie Lynn and Bonnie Curtis and Wix Walker. They went out there and, and literally, uh, you know, the, the 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 loaves and the fish come to mind. I don't know how they, uh, you know, how they did it, but I'm very thankful. I mean, it's insanely difficult to make any drama, let alone this kind of movie, which is also a little trapped between Art House and Christian. You know, if it was a more overtly Christian movie, well, then that market is very juicy, potentially. And as an Art House movie, I think it would have had, a, a, you know, maybe traveled more. It is distributed in other countries, but, for example, it, it was not... It didn't go to too many festivals. Even festivals where I'd taken every one of my movies... You know, in, in very secular worlds like Europe, it was like, ah, it's just some Jesus movie from America. You know, they, they thought it was, it was you know, coming with Ted Cruz carrying it or something. Um, but, I mean, it was done like you can imagine, you know, beg, borrow, and steal. And, you know, 25 days, 3 million, it's, um, you know, I, I don't even know how we made it. You know, everyone's, it's another reason I shot it near L.A., because then I could get people who were, we still had to put people up, but we weren't saying to someone, you know, we're going to Sonora for three months or we're going to, you know, the Judean desert. Yeah. Um, well, that's that, that that's uh, that's just one more of the fine lines I think that this movie walks. Uh, so many ways that it could have gone wrong, uh, creatively and and in this case we were talking about it. It's not a, an overtly Christian movie, a religious movie, and. And because the subject matter, it, it, it's an interesting fit even for art house cinema. But I think that's where its greatness lies, I think. Um, that's all the time that we have, so I'm going to wrap it up there. But thank you uh, so much for the movie. It's thank really you very wonderful. Much. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Remember, you can watch a video of past Q&As on our website or our YouTube channel. We also have preview podcast episodes from earlier this season. And stay subscribed to The Director's Cut for more Q&As and highlights from other DGA events, as well as selections from our archive. Also on our website, you can explore our visual history program with long-form oral history interviews that delve deep into the careers of veteran DGA members. Check out the program at dga.org craft slash visual history if you're enjoying the director's cut please subscribe to it on itunes google play or soundcloud so you won't miss an episode and leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback thanks for listening and have a great week this podcast is produced by the directors guild of america music is by dan wally